0: Welcome to The Medium Project.
1: This is a podcast hosted by BiblioCinephiles, discussing adaptations of various mediums for the screen.
0: Join us as we give our thoughts on the hits and misses when it comes to casting, set design, and overall the looks of the worlds that have been adapted.
1: We'll have these conversations with a medium amount of research and a large amount of passion. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts.
0: The last episode, we talked about Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. Episode two. Today, uh, we are talking about Chamber of Secrets. That's right, the most beloved of all.
1: Harry Potter number two. This Harry... is Josh would call
0: it. Son of a gun. I hope I got roasted for that. Harry Potter number one intro on the last episode. But uh, I'm one of your hosts, Josh Perez, and
1: I'm Sarah Warland, your other host
0: and we are ready to dive into this Chamber of Secrets talk. Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. Let us hope that Mr. Potter will always be around to save the day. Don't worry. I will be. This book came out July 2nd, 1998, Written, of course, all of them written by J.K. Rowling. Which, by the way, do you know what J.K. stands for? You probably do know what this. I did not know until last week.
1: No, I actually don't. But what came to my mind was Jacqueline Kennedy. <laughs>
0: Jacqueline, you, <laughs> that is very, very wrong. <laughs> I was going to say close, but it's super not. Jacqueline Kennedy ja- <laughs> Rowling. <laughs> uh, pen name, Uh, president's, is that <laughs> is the president's wife, right? Or yeah. Or JFK's wife? Yeah. That's so funny. But no, it's close. It does start with a J, but it's actually Joanne, like oh, fabrics.
1: Yeah, Joanne. It does start with the J. It Thank does. you, Josh, for that brilliant assessment.
0: And then the K, which what would you say, Kennedy? Okay, Kennedy. There we go. It's it's uh, Kathleen. Oh, which I think is made up.
1: I should have known that it was. I I mean, I like once you said Joanne, I was like, oh, I knew that because her kind of like nickname is Joe.
0: Oh, people call her like Joe. Dang, I'm outing myself for not being a super fan because I actually don't know.
1: I said Jacqueline Kennedy, Josh. (laughs) (laughs) I also failed.
0: (laughs) Jacqueline Kennedy Rowling wrote The Chamber of Secrets. So Joanne Kathleen Rowling wrote this in, or was published in 1998. The movie came out November 14th, 2002. So we're looking at, what is that? Four years later. That's a
1: pretty quick turnaround.
0: Right? I would think so.
1: That's a much faster turnaround. I always forget. I think something I forget about these books and movies was that all of the books weren't released until after the movies had started being made. Like they were being published and then released concurrently. Like not concurrently, obviously, like the book was published and then the movie came out like three days later. But like they started making these movies before they knew how the series ended which is i think an interesting concept right cuz like you're casting like you're casting snape before we know exactly who snape is you That's know what i mean true. like we don't know about like his love for lily we didn't even know that existed until the final book but they had to cast a snape that could be complex enough to kind of roll with those evolutions of his character
0: which seems like such a gamble especially because you don't know if actors are going to stay on or they're not it's a long commitment doing seven because i think she always planned on seven books yeah so you would think like yeah seven movies that over a span of over a decade right that seems like a big commitment but i did read somewhere that jk would like sneak and Uh, tell Snape certain things that she hadn't even written yet before, but planning on it.
1: Right. I read that too, that like there were a few things that J.K. Rowling gave to Alan Rickman, like kind of some little like, hey, just so you know, like this is upcoming, which I think is really cool then too, because you get to, I would think as the actor playing that character, like what a cool you're really brought into the artistic process in that way, right? Like that's not something that anybody else knows Mm. except for you. yeah. And which is in some ways almost like a way to kind of emulate like that evolution of our own character developments ourselves is it's like no one else knows what's going on in your life except for you. Like, you know, all the internal workings of your own self. yeah. And so then as like an actor, by getting those kind of like insights that no one else has, you can kind of... I don't know. I would imagine you can kind of craft your character in a way that's a little bit more real to real life, where mm. it's like, no one knows this character yet, except for you. I don't know. Maybe that's yeah. me reading into that too much.
0: Especially with a character that hides so much stuff. Right, right. Which we'll learn about if you haven't seen <laughs> the all king of them. Secrets. <laughs> But yeah, no, that's, that is a a interesting thing to think about. I forget about that because in my mind I'm like, oh no, they're all out already. So I don't have to think about that.
1: Yeah. I think about that too. But that that was just something that kind of shocked me when I looked at this of like, it was published and then four years later it was made into a movie, which means that, I mean, gosh, that's a quick turnaround. Yeah. But it was already such a phenom. I guess they were like, yeah,
0: this is cool. (laughs) No, for (laughs) sure. We're going to make money. (laughs) But yeah, and, and I think to this movie, so this movie was directed by Chris Columbus, not to be confused with the man who sailed the ocean blue, but Ah, he,
1: colonizers, those lovely. Co-
0: classic. <laughs> this one uh, is a little bit different of a colonizer. He makes family films. Uh, he did Home Alone, which was uh, a good one, and Mrs. Doubtfire.
1: Wait, really? Yeah. Okay, I might have had this exact same reaction the last time we recorded Maybe. Uh, which is hilarious if I did and is embarrassing that this is like not a fact that sticks in my mind. But he made Home Alone.
0: Yeah. he, he Home Alone, I want to say one and two.
1: Well, the best ones,
0: obviously. Uh, Home Alone 3. I know it's different. Different characters, different plot, different everything. Listen. Kind of a sleeper.
1: You have Macaulay Culkin and Katherine O'Hara in one and two. There is no greater
0: duo. Okay. That is fair. But, in the third one, he does some cool things, cool pranks. It's very creative.
1: I'm I'm a purist when it comes to the Home Alone movies. That's one true. and two forever.
0: I think two. This is gonna sound. I might get canceled for this, but I don't think I saw one and two until after three.
1: Oh, I thought you were gonna say
0: ever and maybe ever. I've mm-hmm. seen scenes for sure. Like I remember the little pigeon, the turtle doves with the lady. Yeah, I remember that. That's from two. I remember the bricks being thrown and the paint bucket swinging but I couldn't tell you. Okay,
1: I have it on DVD. I will loan it to you. Okay. You must watch number one. Deal. It's the best.
0: Okay, so he did Home Alone. Yes, Home Alone 1, he directed. Home Alone 2, Lost in New York, directed. He also did Stepmom, uh, but that was, that was after Mrs. Doubtfire. But anyways, he did a lot of more family films, which Chris I Columbus. think- Chris Columbus. Yeah, not Macaulay Columbus. Not the, not the one who <laughs> sailed in 1492 but i think that's important too cuz i think the first ones feel a little more like family-ish mm-hmm. family feeling yeah. and it's written by the same person so there's consistency steve cloves right. and then uh composed by john williams the classic oh, uh, star wars and
1: the music is so good it's great Ugh, it's i love great. it
0: so yeah but speaking on that sarah what did you what do you think about the book what do you think about the movies and where we are going
1: okay so i have uncovered in my vast discussions of Harry Potter with many different people that Chamber of Secrets draws a lot of people's disdain. There is not a lot of love for this book or this movie. In fact, Josh, Very I true. think you are one of
0: those people. I am. <laughs> it's one of the longest movies and one of the shortest books. It's like two hours and 40 minutes long. And it just, I don't know. I mean, that's one qualm I have with it. But then there's a lot of other qualms where I'm like, it just, The other ones are just more fun.
1: (laughs) Okay, but this is something I pointed out to Josh when he was telling me about one of his rejections of this is how long the movie is. Is that, okay, yes, it's like one of the shorter books and one of, okay, the longest movie, but the seventh book was split into two movies. That is Mm. how long the movie was. So I just feel that that is like a little bit of a shaky
0: point to make. Well, they could have made this two movies. Just kidding. I agree.
1: You already don't like it. You wouldn't have liked it to be two. But I think, okay, anyway, I understand why people, this is typically listed kind of at the bottom of people's favorite books, Harry Potter books, and even the Harry Potter movies. I get it, but I also don't agree with it. As we move throughout these books and movies, you will come to find which is my least favorite book. But... I think that this book is so important. And so it's kind of that for me, I think this book is the most important book to set up like the entire evolution of the series. And so it's not necessarily like my favorite book because I do agree with you. I think a lot of the other ones are more fun, but I really feel like the amount of important information we get in this book and in this movie makes it I don't know. I think it's more important than people give it credit for. And so we kind of just are like, uh, this wasn't my favorite. So like we shouldn't talk about this as much. I think this should be the most talked about book and
0: movie. Which is a good distinction. Yeah. Right. Because it can be the most important or the most foundational to the whole Harry right. Potter world and storyline, which does not equate to the most enjoyable and right. more entertaining. Right. Which when I think most people when they go when when they think about this movie or they have a uh, criticism about it, that's where they go. What's right. more, enta- more entertaining? What's Because the first one, I'm like, I don't know this world. So obviously that one's going to be right. super fascinating. Right. And then the third one gets a little more darker, a little more like teen because he's aging yeah. with his age, right? So he's right. 13. And so he gets a little bit more interesting, more complex. The second one, I feel like it's just this filler yeah. of 12-year-old we already know about the school, the lore. We got to see Diagon Alley. We got to see the way the school operates. Right. And so I just feel like it was probably this more struggling, uh, like one to to be entertaining, I guess. Yeah. But I do, because I, I, I will say I do agree that after talking to you about it off the record of just like, oh, they do introduce a lot of very, yes. very <laughs> important things in this movie that sets up the rest of the series.
1: They are so critical, but, I also think what you said made me think of this in a new way, too, of I think this is like the most and bear me bear with me on this point, the most internal of the books because, right, like the first one, you have Harry outside of Hogwarts brought into Hogwarts. Third one, you have Sirius Black and all of that kind of like stuff going on outside and you have more Hogsmeade stuff. Mm -hmm. And then obviously once you get into like fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, you have more of that kind of discussion of like Harry outside of school. I mean, the seventh book, he's like not even at Hogwarts for most of it. But this one almost... Like, other than them getting to school, which is
0: wild, (laughs)
1: uh, there's no real leaving the school. Like, it all takes place at Hogwarts, and there's no real kind of, like, outside. Yeah. Like, Dumbledore and Hagrid disappear for part of it. The journal gets brought in, which I guess you could argue is kind of, like, an outside influence. But it's, like, very much, it's, like, taking place in uh, the pipes of the school, like in the bathrooms of the school, like there's not a lot of leaving. I mean, yeah. they go to the Forbidden Forest, but I don't know. Maybe that's one of the reasons is it just gets kind of, people feel that it gets boring because there's not a lot of like outside influences to it.
0: Almost like that, uh, what do you call it? Island syndrome? Yeah. <laughs> you just stuck somewhere, you're driving in circles for so long. <laughs> it's like, well, three hours around the whole island. Like, now what do we, we do? Like, Get out of here feel landlocked maybe that's a good point i never i didn't i haven't thought about that and i think another aspect of it is this one involves a little bit of like possession and i absolutely loathe scary movies <laughs> i just i'm like i don't so this is touching some like sinister right conjuring all of that totally world and totally. i I maybe that's a subconscious thing because i don't think this is a movie i'm like oh yeah this is a horror film now i'm gonna hate it but maybe it has something to do with that where i'm like oh, yeah. i just I don't really care for the possessions of humans.
1: Yeah, especially because especially because it's Ginny, right? This eleven year old girl. It's not it's not even adult. Again, not The even treatment adult. of
0: eleven year olds in this damn series.
1: They need to have like uh that you know how at the end of movies they're like no animals were harmed. It's like no eleven year olds were harmed <laughs> in the
0: making be, of this. For movie. <laughs> real. Just the eleven year olds that read it when they were eleven. Yeah, they're and how, who are like
1: traumatized for the rest of their lives. Oh my gosh. But I think one of the other reasons I really like this book and this movie, especially I think in the movie, it maybe is even more kind of like in your face. You can't miss it is the introduction of just the classist overtones of the wizarding world that there is. The wizarding world becomes more complex to me in this movie. Like the first one, it's so fun. We it, like see Diagon Alley for the first time. And you're, you're kind of introduced to the idea of like the pure blood bias with Draco Malfoy, but it's not, it's not developed very much. And in this one, you start to kind of see the real. Um, like, tension that exists there because you have the run-in in in Diagon Alley between the Malfoys and the Weasleys. And um, then you have kind of the the figuring out how to deal with the fact that, like, Malfoy calls Hermione a mudblood. Mm. And it's that injection of that word of, like, how do we deal with the fact that people are prejudiced against muggle-borns and that there is this overarching attitude that not everyone but a lot of people have that um, Muggleborns aren't as good as purebloods, and and that is a really, I think, powerful discussion to have in children's literature. I think, well, like, I mean, obviously, this is classified as children's literature, but I am the first person to say that I think children's <laughs> lit is literature for all of us to read. So I don't know. I think that that's something too that makes this. Book and this movie more complex to me in a really interesting and important way. In that, we're starting to see this as magical as the Wizarding World is, like, there's still it's not perfect by yeah. any stretch of like any stretch of the matter. So, I think that is also for me as I've gotten older and continued to read and watch Harry Potter. I think that stood out to me of just how important that discussion is in regard to how we understand the wizarding world.
0: Yeah. And I think I agree. And I think the cool thing too about that is I think it, it relates to the human experience and really brings in readers or makes people think about the human experience who don't, who haven't really thought about that idea of like, oh, is, are these lesser people or more people because of who they came from, where they're born, what, All those different variables that go into it, right? Because it makes me think about that scene in Selena, all time great movie. They should write a book so we can bring it on the podcast. But they, (laughs) they, there's that scene where the dad tells tells uh, Selena that she has, you know, when you're in the middle of Mexican American, like you need to be Mexican enough for the Mexicans, but you need to be American enough for Americans. And me being a light skinned Mexican born in America, don't speak Spanish. A lot of my relatives do. I felt that tension of like, am I enough? Over here or enough over there, not really having a space to fit. And so when I hear about Hermione being this mudblood or like, you know, with using these derogatory like slurs almost about she's born of muggles, but she knows magic. And so what does that mean to like the rest of the wizardly world? I think it instantly made me connect in a very real way in the human experience of all the like classism and like different. Right racism in a way too, right. right? I know they don't talk about necessarily racism in the books, but like they're, it's very um, transferable or like- Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, like you can think about those, like the categorization. I think what you're saying too is is one of the reasons Hermione is a very interesting character because it's also kind of watching her of, like I think one of the things that always strikes me in this movie is when um after Malfoy calls Hermione a mudblood and then Ron is barfing up slugs in Hagrid's hut and where Harry doesn't understand, like he doesn't know what that term means. And and yet, even though both him and Hermione, or he and Hermione, oops, uh, are not like weren't raised in the wizarding world, Hermione knows what it means. Like yeah. she's had to know what it means. And Harry, because he's half blood, like he hasn't been the target of that that word. So it just makes me wonder. I'm like, so Hermione's the one who defines it for Harry, right? She's like, it means dirty blood. It's a really foul name for someone who's muggle-born. And so it makes me think like what has Hermione already been through? Has someone called her that before? We just weren't privy to it. Um, Did she come across that in her reading? Probably what actually happened. (laughs) Uh, Did she come across that in her reading and realize like that's a term that applies to me? Like this is something that people have called people like me. So I also think it just kind of makes her more complex in thinking about she in some way had to take in that information by herself and process the fact that there's people who think that about her because her parents wouldn't have known. Yeah, Like it wouldn't have made sense to them. So I don't know. It's just that interesting, like, I think it, it does. It makes Hermione very complex and also makes her, like, it, it just gives me kind of a different way to think about Hermione of like, how has she processed that by herself before she's even had her friends brought into it, if that makes sense, or like an adult brought into it.
0: Yeah. And I, I think that's interesting too when you bring up Harry because I think it makes it like when you, you talk about the complexity of Hermione of of Harry, someone whose two parents were wizards and in, and in, in witch, a wizard and witch that's very of notable character. Right. Like everyone knows them and Harry knows nothing about the wizarding world. And then Hermione knows everything about the wizarding world right. and she's got muggle parents. So I'm curious how that, you know, if that's a dynamic of like why they get along, like why they became this right. trios because of these- you know, Ron being a pure blood, Harry being half blood. half blood, and yeah. then being a mud blood, and the, the empathy that they may have but yeah. also like Ron's, you know, I don't know, a little yeah. bit more on the like, I don't know that he grew up in a pure blood and just a magic world, or, right? So, anyways, they come from different backgrounds, so I'm curious if they like yeah grew an empathy and a compassion through all of that, and why she likes being friends with Harry too because she gets to introduce right because in this situation. She knows everything and therefore, like, she's looked in high regard because Harry's like, Help me, right? I don't know anything,
1: right? Yeah, it's in their dynamic is so like, I is so intentional, right? Of having kind of that variety and and all of that. So, yeah, I think that it's, yeah, I just think this book, this movie is so important in that way of kind of giving us space to start thinking more. About like the complexity mm. of the wizarding world, and I think it challenges us not to romanticize the wizarding world because mm. Rowling is really clear about the fact that like this is a place that's also rife with political disagreement, with like racial disagreement, and those sorts of things. So I think it does it it complicates it in a way that challenges me not to be like the wizarding world is so <laughs> perfect, yeah,
0: <laughs> for sure.
1: So should we transition into our first category? Let's do it. Okay. So these are our most bloody hell, bloody brilliant moments from these adaptations in homage to Ron's classic phrase. So for bloody brilliant, I'm going to head these up this week. So I think I'd like to focus on three of the things that I think are so brilliant in that they are introduced in Chamber of Secrets and then end up being crucial to the growth of the series. Um, So I'll start with, I think, probably the overarching like main one is that we're introduced to Horcruxes in this book in a I don't know. It's just so smart to me how it's introduced because we don't know it's horcruxes yet. Like we, I don't think that word's not used Mm -mm. in this at all. And, but then it's like, once you get to the end of the series and you come back, you're like, oh my gosh, (laughs) this happened in
0: book two.
1: (laughs) And so I think that that's just really interesting. And I really like the way that it's portrayed in um, in the movie. I think that the way they have kind of the, Materializing, becoming tangible, Tom Riddle out of the diary is really creepy and really good. So, yeah, I would say the one of my bloody brilliance is the Horcruxes, the way that it's introduced here, and then also. Um, Along with that, this is like my sub point to this point, Um, the Sword of Gryffindor. We're introduced to the uh, Sword of Gryffindor in this, and that becomes like one of the key ways later on that they're able to destroy Horcruxes. So, and then of course, then the Basilisk Fangs as well, mm-hmm. when Ron and Hermione enter the Chamber of Secrets in book seven. So- It's all of these little details that become so crucial to remember as you go on. So that would be my first one with also the side caveat here that, again, Ginny is 11 and is possessed by a book, which is (laughs) so problematic. But my second one would be bloody brilliant. I love the introduction of Dobby. Dobby is... Oh my gosh. I like want to cry when I think about Dobby. He's amazing. I love when he's introduced at the Dursley's house because he just causes utter pandemonium. Like total, totally crazy mayhem. Like
0: good intentions, well-intended. Yes. And he's just destroying. It's just like... Harry's life
1: makes Harry think he has no friends. Dumps a whole pavlova on someone's head like this is absolutely crazy. And I just have to say, when I was watching the movie, and there's the part at the end where Harry says to Dobby, "Just promise to never try to save my life again." (laughs) I lost it. I was like weeping uncontrollably because I was like. He does save his life and it ends so badly. Oh, God. Anyway, Dobby is amazing. But also like the house elves end up playing a much larger role throughout the entire series. So it's like we, we meet Dobby here, but then we have Dobby coming back around in like book four in, yeah. um, I mean, he plays such a key role in book seven, but also then in book six where he's like trailing Draco, all that kind of stuff. And it kind of gives us then a lead into how important Winky is in book four, how important Creature is, and and this whole idea of like the rights of house elves. Mm-hmm. And this gets pulled back, I think, to our, our conversation about classism, racism, those sorts of things in this book, because I don't know exactly what it would be called like Speciesism. Speciesism. Is that what it would be called? But it is. It's this like, here's this entire sub species or species of creature who are used as slaves. And I think that it gets into then Hermione's um SPEW, which I'm sure we'll discuss when we get to book four.
0: Especially in the books. I was going to say, they, they kind yeah. of, the movies don't do the house elves justice. No, I'll say that. Now. They
1: do not. They do not at all.
0: And I think it's interesting too, if I can just jump in real yes. quick, just the power of elf magic yes. and how like is almost unstoppable. But because of this speciesism, this classism, yeah. racism, all that stuff, it's like held down. Yeah. And I just think that that's fascinating to be like, no, that this oppressed group of people or beings have the most powerful, yes, but they don't even sometimes know that or like because they can function outside of they don't even need wands. they just snap they just do and it's i don't know i think it's
1: they're not bound by the limitations too of like it's that whole thing right that like um house elves can operate within hogwarts grounds and no one else can and and it's uh, like i love the part i can't even remember where it is i can't remember which book it's in but it's that point where it's like wait how did you get here and dobby's like I just operated <laughs> and everyone's like, w- w- how oh. you can't do that. And he's like, I just did it.
0: Like,
1: yeah. <laughs> like he's so powerful and he doesn't even understand. And I think what you said to Josh is so important. Like he doesn't need a wand. Like he can just channel his magic mm-hmm. without the help of an external source, which, yeah, house elves, I think are so fascinating. Yes, Ugh, I could talk about them for days, but I won't. Um. So I would say Dobby and the ha- like introduction of house elves, which really we only see Dobby in this movie, is another one of bloody brilliant. I love Dobby. I think they do, they do absolute justice to the house elves. Um, I think when I originally watched this, I thought it was he was gonna be like Gollum,
0: <laughs> oh. <laughs> like Schmeagle?
1: Yes which I'm glad he's not exactly like that. But there are real similarities. I'm not going to lie. There are real similarities. Gollum might be an ancient house elf. (laughs) That's a crossover we're waiting for. But okay. And then my third bloody brilliant, and then I'd be interested to hear more of what you think on this, Josh, is uh, we see Expelliarmus for the first time in this book. So the disarming charm uh, or spell. I don't know. I don't know if it's a charm. I think it's a charm. Uh, anyway, whatever. It is, uh, we're introduced to it during Dueling Club in this. And I mean, Expelling Armist, right, becomes Harry's calling card. Like that is mm-hmm. what saves his life. Oh, I don't know, approximately a thousand times versus Death Eaters, which makes me feel that I could have been a successful witch because all <laughs> I really needed was one spell. But I think that that is really important too. And I think it's interesting that Snape is the one who harry gets it from mm. that's just i that feel that that's kind of a cool like on every level sort of um thing to think about that's so true. those are my bloody brilliance i also think this dueling club scene is awesome in the movie um definitely feel like that was well adapted but i'd be interested josh if you disagree with any of my bloody brilliance or if you have any to add as well
0: I mean, no, I think I agree with most of them. I think Dobby's incredible. I think the inter- the way they introduced him, the way they they adapted from the book to the movie was really great with how he looks, his demeanor, his acting, like it was just I think pretty yeah. pretty spot on. So that's up there for me and I think the Dueling Club scene was incredible.
1: Like where I- did they find a house elf to cast for this?
0: Just <laughs> the, the acting is so
1: <laughs> it's so good. Got <laughs> a lot of house elves <laughs> were adi- auditioning oh for this.
0: Um, But I think I want, I will add just one adaptation, and that is going to be how they portrayed the Chamber of Secrets, the bottom of it, not how they got in and not, but like when they're, when Harry meets uh, Tom in that, that it just, those statues that are lined up, yes. the water, the little pathway. And then it looks like Davy Jones is like oh on the gosh, end or something. You're right. <laughs> so I, I, I didn't even Davy think about Jones. that, but
1: that's so true. <laughs> so Another like crossover. Serving
0: crossover world. So, of the
1: Caribbean.
0: So I will say that that I think was wildly brilliant. The way yeah. they designed the set decor and all that for, for that scene specifically was sure. pretty great. But sure. um, if I had to pick one, though, one of those that's my favorite. Oh man, I think I have to say it's got to be, uh, it's got to be Dobby. It's yeah. got to be how they, yeah, just his acting the way he looks, the, all, all of that yeah. the introduction of House Elf yeah. was, I think, my favorite adaptation.
1: I think Dobby must be one of the most beloved characters
0: in be, a right? book
1: series ever. I think he must be.
0: Like when he gets set free, oh my I, tear, like, I feel liberated Yeah, I'm from like, whatever it is that I, I need liberation from. <laughs> I don't even, sometimes I don't even know what it is.
1: This Dobby sums up my liberation theology.
0: It's so great. Yes. <laughs> I found rescue in Dobby.
1: Oh my gosh, this is too much.
0: What about you? What was your, if you had to choose one of those, what, what takes it all for you?
1: Hmm. Oof. I mean, obviously I want to say Dobby, but I really do think that the horcruxes, okay. I think it's such brilliant foreshadowing and I mean, it's like efficient, right? You're like, mm. hell yeah, we just destroyed one and we didn't even know what it was. Right? Which I think, no, it's not in this one. Oh, now I'm getting confused. I was going to say that it's that part where like Dumbledore has like a gleam in his eyes, but that's during book four when Voldemort takes Harry's blood. Mm. Um, But I think that this, I mean, right without book two, would Dumbledore have been as like set into motion to start thinking about, Voldemort having horcruxes like if this hadn't have happened would they have been as well prepared to hunt down all the horcruxes when they needed to like Uh. I, I don't know I guess without book two for me the entire rest of the story collapses like I they wouldn't know about horcruxes they wouldn't have already destroyed one they wouldn't have anything to destroy horcruxes with like It really is the hinge to the rest of the story. And so I, and I think that's so smart, like to be foreshadowing stuff that's coming down the road so intensely without giving everything away, right? Like it doesn't ruin Mm -hmm. it for you. It just gives you kind of a flavor of what Voldemort's capable of. It makes you, or at least it makes me realize like, oh, this is a real villain to be, afraid of like he has all these different methods for coming back and so I would say for me bloody brilliant horcruxes and I totally agree with you chamber of secrets was awesome and yeah just really like spot on in kind of creating fear and the whole like I am Lord Voldemort Tom, Tom Marvolo riddle is so cool it's so good
0: yeah no it and I think I think too with the the horcrux like the the embodiment of a soul, like the the your journaling, it's not just a magical gimmicky diary. Yeah. Even though at first you're like, oh, maybe it's just a journal that writes back. Cool, right. it's a wizardly item. But the fact that this journal has a past, yeah, and it, it speaks like the present. But then right. also you kind of get these like interactions. I think more so in the books, probably, yeah. but of like motivations which speak to the future. Right. And so it's it seems it's like oh no, this. Even though we don't know that it's a soul and we don't know that yeah. it's a horcrux and we don't know it's a part of Voldemort yet, but it will retrospect you're like, oh that yeah that makes sense. The manifestation of, of Tom Riddle coming out and all this stuff. It's like it's a part of his soul. It's not just a yeah. gimmicky magical journal.
1: Doesn't he even say like Lord Voldemort is my past, he is my present, and he is my future. That's like crazy. that. Oh, it gives me the heebie TVs. That's um, so funny. Okay, Josh, lead us into some bloody
0: hell. Bloody hell moments. Yes, a lot of my bloody hell. So I'm I'm gonna do the same. I'll nominate three bloody hell uh, adaptations or bloody hell moments from this book, and I think a book to movie. And I think a lot of them have to do with the omission of stuff in this one because I feel like they left. For my complaint of being two hours (laughs) and forty two minutes long, decide what you
1: want, Josh.
0: (laughs) Contradictive. Um, This speaks. Very clearly to my uh, personality. Okay. But it's, <laughs> it's it's these like little things. Like one, the they don't mention uh, Filch being a squib, which mm. is another part of classism going back to our yep. earlier conversation about like, like, Ooh, so you have point. the opposite. You have Muggles and Harry, uh, Hermione is born of Muggles and knows magic. Right. And now Filch, you see this angry, because uh, one, Filch has another bloody hell moment more so about like, he like threatens to murder a twelve year old. He's like, "I'm gonna kill you, Harry, for killing my cat." And everyone's just like, "Oh, he's angry." Like, "Oh, okay, <laughs> Filch, yeah." Like, that's an okay statement to say in a school. Like,
1: <laughs> where you work, where
0: you work, and he still has a job. But I think, I think the omission of Squib, which I don't think it makes it okay that he threatened the life of a twelve year old right. over a, over his cat. No offense, I understand there's a lot of cat lovers and pet lovers out there, but I will say like. Threatening a human life that may or may not be innocent—you have no idea whether or not they killed your cat—is pretty intense. Also,
1: you don't even know if your cat is dead. Like, your cat is not even dead; it's just stone.
0: Like, Imagine you have just a, your stone pet on outside right now in your apartment complex, and you, the first twelve-year-old kid you see, is like, "I'm gonna kill you." You'd be so news instantly. You'd be arrested. I would be
1: in jail immediately, except for I am a white woman, so maybe not. <laughs> Look. at
0: Back to the race. There we go. <laughs> classism. This is really on brand. Okay. Um, but no, but, but I think it kind of omitting that he's not a squib. Like I said, it's not that big of a deal, I don't think. But I, in terms of the theme, maybe it speaks yeah. more to the, the whole scope of really hammering the classism that's introduced in right. this book and movie. So that's a bummer. That's a bloody hell thing. And then combined with the sub point to that is combining with bloody hell uh, filch, you can't threaten twelve-year-old um, kids and murdering them. But, Obviously,
1: we have a low appreciation for child life in this, these books and movies. So,
0: of yes. course, <laughs> absolutely. And I think, oh, the elimination of Peeves is, yeah. And so, and that's, I don't think he was in the first one. He's not in any of the books or any of the movies. Any of the movies, yep. And and so maybe it's not a big deal. I feel like it's a big deal for this book specifically, but I think it's even a bigger deal. About the whole setting yeah. up the whole movie, so omitting or taking out Peeves, I think, super takes away a lot yeah. of storylines and different um, aspects, and so so true. So that's a bummer for me. And so another one that I would have to say is another not as big of a deal, but kind of feels like a big deal is when when they are explaining the when they the the history of Chamber of Secrets and what's going on, right? And they ask Professor McGonagall like, "Hey." In the middle of Transfiguration class, can you tell me about the history? And it it just I'm like that doesn't yeah. make sense. And then I remember it's because in the book they ask about it in the history yeah. of of uh, the history of magic class with Professor Binns, which makes way more sense. Right. But they just took out Professor Bins, which I right. I guess you can't have every teacher in there. Yeah. But anyways, well, those she were was
1: pretty boring in the book, so I don't imagine him being a scintillating <laughs> addition to the to movie. the
0: movies. <laughs> well, they could have made him cool and better. That would be a good adaptation. It's like, hey, and this guy was boring. if they messed
1: up, they could just recast like they do with Flitwick. See? Cross-reference episode one. His
0: hair. <laughs> Cross-reference, go back. Timestamp. Just get. I don't remember timestamp. <laughs> but his hair changes for sure.
1: He is a different person.
0: A completely different person?
1: Except for maybe that's in Prisoner of Azkaban when okay. he changes. That gotcha. I might be getting ahead of myself.
0: That um, would make more sense.
1: Okay. These are great ones. May I posit an additional bloody hell? Yes, please. Okay. This, again, little thing really bugs me. Um, When they're beginning to repot the mandrake plants in herbology in this uh movie, Neville faints. He like didn't put on his earmuffs correctly and he faints. And this really bothers me because Neville is a B.A. at freaking Herbology. He would not mess up. Like, he's the best in their year at Herbology. He becomes an Herbology professor. Like, he did not just make a mistake and not put his headphones on well, so he passed out. Like, don't take this thing from Neville. Let him have... Let him him be good at this. So that was something that really, like, truly, it, like, infuriated me from the movie. And it didn't happen in the book. Like, Neville doesn't faint when they're repotting Mandrakes. He's always the best at herbology. And then in the books or in the movie, they just decide to, like, make him really bad at it for, like, a while.
0: It makes him becoming a hero that much better. No. Like, hey, remember when you fainted potting plants?
1: No, it doesn't make it better. It makes it, it makes Neville this bumbling idiot more than he already is made. And it really bothers me. Anyway, that's my bloody hell.
0: That's a good addition. And I will say, um, yeah, way better than the eliminating boring characters from the book or from, to, from the movies <laughs> from the book. But uh, because you have like, okay, so you introduce 12 year olds to this certain plant and mandrakes and they're like yeah if you don't wear your headphones you could die and they're like yeah this is an appropriate activity like, i used to dissect owl pellets and you know yeah in science class and i was like no no even if some kid ate that i think they'd be okay <laughs> and in this movie in this movie book they're like hey yeah let's let's deal with things that potentially might kill you if you accidentally don't do this right.
1: All the time. Like what sort of liability waiver do parents or guardians have to sign for their children to go to Hogwarts? Like more than likely your child will in the course of one year have someone try to kill them, be working with plants that can kill them, magical creatures that can destroy them, be in classrooms full of children who don't know how to control magic and yet we will give them a Mm -hmm.
0: wand. Yep. It's wild. Constantly, as well. But if I had to choose one specific one um, that changed the course of everything, I think in my mind uh, for this bloody hell section, it's it's got to be the, the the peeves. I yeah. get very sad about that.
1: Yeah, no, I hear. He was
0: that. kind of a nuisance and a wreck. Like he was reckless and he just was a pain in the butt. But I feel like, yeah, he was just so many different moments in all the books. Yeah, that I'm like, how do you just eliminate peeves?
1: Yeah, you can't get rid of him. That's a good point. So that's
0: a big bummer for me.
1: What was your first bloody hell?
0: Uh, the first one was the squib omission with oh, Filch. Oh,
1: yeah, yeah. And, and his um, threatening oh, yeah. of a child's There's life. There's a close second. I mean, I think that's always going to be my bloody hell is like, this is insane. Like for a book, a children's lit book, mm-hmm. the amount of times adults threaten and or harm children Yep, is crazy. It is wild. It's like truly like bloody hell. Yeah. What? Yep. (laughs) That's how I feel.
0: (laughs) Totally. Totally. Well, okay. Great picks. Great picks. So now we're going to go into... Our next category is a best cast, worst cast. Yes. And I, Sarah, would you like to lead us in best cast yes. nominations?
1: Okay. I have a couple of suggestions here. So my first one would be we meet Arthur Weasley for the first time in this movie. We obviously we've heard about him before, but Mark Williams, I think, is an excellent Mr. Weasley. He's just, he has such a great way of capturing kind of that like bumbling innocence, but also like truly, I feel like in saying that, that Mr. Weasley often gets kind of cast in a little bit of that like bumbling dad
0: mm-hmm. trope, yeah. <laughs>
1: which I think gets overdone in many ways. But I do feel like throughout the entire book series and throughout the movies, Mr. Weasley is... Like, what a beautiful character, especially for Harry, who is surrounded by these really problematic male characters all the time. Kind of like male father figures, like Dumbledore, extremely problematic (laughs) male mentor. Um, Sirius Black, also extremely problematic, though I love him. Um, Remus Lupin, less problematic, but still kind of absent. Yeah, Vernon Dursley, abusive, like... All of these just, Mm -hmm. like, male mentor figures. And then you have Mr. Weasley, who is this, like, kind, interested, loving, like, faithful father. And I don't know if part of it is because I think Mr. Weasley sort of reminds me of my own dad because my dad has red hair and is, like, really interested in stuff and, like, loves things and, is like, really, like, loves to know how stuff works and is just, like, good to his very core, I think I love Mr. Weasley for that reason. I think he's like a beautiful addition to kind of fill out Harry's experience of adult figures. Like we're just talking about, right, all these adults who yeah. like try and kill children throughout <laughs> this entire series or like raise children to be killed. Yeah. <coughs> Cough, Dumbledore. <laughs> um, but Mr. Weasley isn't like that at all. Like he only ever wants the best for Harry. And so... And I think Mark Williams captures that in like a really, yeah. really great way. So he would be one. And then we were talking about Dobby earlier. So I had a moment of like, what? When I found out that Toby Jones is the voice of Dobby. So they didn't actually find a house elf to play Dobby. <laughs> <laughs> what a joke um, but they found Equality they found Toby Jones who is Claudius Templesmith in The Hunger Games which love that and he is uh, the scientist Zola from Captain America uh, First Avenger and the Winter Soldier so that's where I recognized him from but um I just again think that the voice of Dobby was like so perfect. <laughs> like, yeah. It's he's just kind of cute but like screechy and mm-hmm. psycho and you're like, "Oh my <laughs> gosh, this is <laughs> he's frantic." That's stop. The perfect. Like literally <laughs> stop <laughs> slamming yourself into the wall. This is so stressful. Stop throwing pavlovas at people. Like I just don't understand. Anyway, those would be my two With, I would say, honorable mention. I don't think these are in like my... She's not in my top, top. But Moaning Myrtle is hysterical. Like, she comes back later in book four. I have some problems with her. Like, (laughs) freaking spying on Harry while he's naked. That's so creepy. But I do think she is fascinating. And I think it's great how... Um, she gets brought back around to being the girl that died because of the basilisk. Yeah. the first time around,
0: which is kind of I, I the second reread and say I yeah. totally blew my mind. I was like, wait, that should be obvious, but I totally forgot. Right,
1: <laughs> I had totally forgotten too. So don't. Well, if we're if like if you're dumb, then I'm dumb too. So yeah. don't feel bad.
0: <laughs> oh, same. That's funny.
1: <laughs> we both are ignorant. We are
0: both dumb. Um. Okay. Solidarity in that. Um. <laughs> Yeah, no, I think, yeah, Shirley Henderson, Moaning Myrtle. She was on there for on, Isn't she on really,
1: like, okay, she's like way older than being a teenager. She was like 45 or something. 45. <laughs> like, I think I think that's true. I didn't look it up before this, but I've read this before. Um, Maybe we can pause and that's look so this funny. up right
0: now. She was born 1965. So yes, I would imagine in 2002, she would be... <laughs> Not a teenager.
1: I just looked it up though and it came up with moaning myrtle and I was like, She was born in nineteen forty-three, Josh. And I was
0: like, oh, Wait, it's not she's not no real. Myrtle.
1: She's not real. One, she's a ghost. Two,
0: she's this age of moaning myrtle. This That's is hilarious. Funny. But yeah. Shirley Henderson, November 24th, 1964.
1: Well, what would that be then to get to? So it would be 30.
0: Yeah, they'd probably.
1: Six. 36. Eight. she was 38 when she was playing a 14 year old girl. Nice. Sounds 30. like a CW show.
0: <laughs> but uh, I do, I will say this I want to add one other nomination, yeah. and that'd be Lucius
1: yeah. Malfoy. <gasps> oh, Did I say his
0: name wrong again? No. Lucius?
1: Oh, I say Lucius.
0: I always read it one way, and then they say it on screen another way, and it throws me off.
1: I say Lucius, so, but you can say Lucius you Malfoy.
0: Want. Jason Isaacs is oh. one of my favorite, like hated villain, like in everything he plays. He's the he's the terrible whatever sergeant colonel, <laughs> so I'm in about the patriot? patriot. I will
1: cry. Heath your rip. Oh my gosh! Oh With my this, gosh!
0: When he does the when he tells Mel Gibson, he's like, "Oh, you're the farmer, huh?" With that stupid little boy, it's like you can't say that you shot that kid like and oh, when he's I hate like, him
1: when he's like I thought you were a better man and Mel Gibson goes my, my sons, son's son. were better men and then just skewers <laughs> him through the throat oh my gosh okay whoa I'm like celebrating massive violence right, right now and I need to calm down but it gives turns me turns into a
0: human Ooh. kebab and you're like <laughs> <You're>, woohoo <laughs> I'm dying my human kebab sorry Jason Isaacs you're gonna be chicken satay Oh, satay Ooh. I'm probably gonna delete that part because I don't know how to say it. But you know what I'm talking about? Chicken satay, <laughs> no, Thai food. Anyways, it's a probably skewed chicken. We
1: should do- <laughs> delete a little bit of the like celebration of like a very violent death.
0: It's fictional, and
1: okay, fictional, but like those things really happen.
0: <laughs> and he super sucked.
1: <laughs> <laughs> he was a real jerk. He was a real asshole. He
0: deserved it. Um. Okay. Fair enough. Wait,
1: but- Jason Isaacs is such a good addition here. I think the reason I didn't add him is because I hate him.
0: Uh, I was like, no. he can't
1: be best because I hate him and he's the worst. Fair. But he's best cast. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Fair. Right. Yeah. And I so feel that.
0: I want to, like, my heart wants to say for, if I had to choose one, my heart wants to say Dobby, but I'm like, Lucius, I just, I'm like, this is also like, that's a close tie for me. Yeah. Of casting. I feel that. Because it's just so, so, it's just so good.
1: Yeah. Agreed.
0: So it's difficult for me.
1: I... Uh, I'm gonna just cheat and say now I can't choose one. Uh Mark Williams is Arthur Weasley or and or Jason Isaacs.
0: Yeah. It it's hard to say, like for me, all the Weasleys, I think as yes. a family, best cast. Like as a family, best <laughs> casted family. But
1: I don't know though. The, the Dursleys, Dursleys actually were, <laughs> The Dursleys were for real give them a run for their money in you know best you're right. cast family.
0: Maybe we'll have to venture into that, explore that later in a later episode about best casted whole family. But, um, but yes. Okay. Fair enough. Um, worst cast, I'll jump us into that because this one was a little difficult in that, uh, I had to get my, my qualms were with very interesting characters of this, of this book movie. But, um, so best cat or worst cast, I'm going to do my three nominations. Nomination number one is the Wamping Willow. <laughs> it's the first time I think we, we are introduced yeah. to this, this tree. And I, if you look up willows, they're like hanging and the, like they're like hanging like a lot of like leaves. And I get it. It might be out of season, if you will. And they might not have leaves, but all the like little things are like these like, like frail looking skinny needle things. And the, and <laughs> I just don't like the way it looked. I'm like, this tree's kind of, I don't know, not goofy, but also like, I don't know. Right. It just did not seem like a willow. Yeah. And so to call it, I, I, I'm a sucker for alliterations. I love alliterations, but Whomping Willow, I think it was pretty poorly casted in this adaptation. Um, My second nomination, love the character, saving lives, literally, but Fox, <laughs> what is that? Like, I understand, okay, CGI, I get it, or like yes. elements, but- Hey, you decided to make the movie in two thousand and two, not me, so therefore, I think it's fair to say like when the 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 when Fox turns into a little like burns up and turns oh into gosh, a little yeah. one, I was like, oh my gosh, this is kinda corny,
1: yeah, also pause uh that would be so traumatic because remember in the book, the moment where Fox explodes is when Harry is taken to Dumbledore's office mm-hmm. because everyone thinks he's killing people and he is like. So traumatized That's already. True. And then Fox explodes and he thinks that Dumbledore's like beautiful bird has died in his company. And he's like, I can just like feel his stress in that moment. He's like, please don't be dead. This is the last thing I need on my conscience. It blew right up now. because he
0: was looking at him. <laughs> Maybe I am a murderer.
1: Maybe true. Harry has some uh house elf magic. True.
0: So there's some there's some uh issues going on with Fox there.
1: And I feel like if Lord of the Rings was able to be made around that same time and they were able to create the things they could. That's there true. Was, there was space for better CGI. There's an
0: opportunity yeah. there. That no, was a missed for opportunity. sure. And then my other one is another animal. And the it's basilisk. the basilisk. <laughs> <laughs> <It's, laughs> it I'm bad. like, what is this little thing? It looks like, I don't know, like a long skinny toad with like, it's like, oh, I'm not worried about it biting me. I'm worried about if it's going to give me warts or something. It's just going to make me feel uncomfortable. Like it just like looking at it. I'm like, Oh, like it just, the skin was weird. Yeah. It just wasn't as terrifying. I get it. Like the fangs terrifying. Sure. Um, could kill he's got poison with a could single kill bite. me, but I'm like, I feel like it could have been different.
1: It definitely, because I was going to say like, if I had to pick one out of that, it would be the basilisk that obviously yeah. I said it at the exact same time <laughs> as you. And I didn't even know that was what you were going to say. But like, I, yeah, that would have to be, it just felt pretty lame.
0: Yeah. So worst cast for me too, Baskalist. So true. (laughs) The next section of this is the lightning bolt scar quick round where we're going to just rattle off some questions real quick. Hopefully faster than our last lightning bolt scar round. Yeah, that was
1: like, that was like slow-mo lightning. It was was like, it was like frame by frame picture of lightning. That's what last time was. Which
0: I don't mind. But, um, yeah, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to try it round two. This is going to, we'll see how this goes. Are Good. you ready?
1: Yeah.
0: You got your, you got your answers ready to rattle them off?
1: Yeah, I'm Do my
0: best. Okay, here we go. First one. What is your preferred method of magical transportation?
1: Uh... Because
0: we've seen a few so far. Flying cars. Can I
1: only choose from the ones that we've seen so far?
0: Uh, yes. And then your second answer can be not.
1: Okay, My first preferred method of magical transportation would be flu powder because I think it's the most efficient. But then after that, apparition.
0: Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Which I think, to be fair, because I have flu powder down too. Yeah. Because I want to instantaneously be somewhere. Yeah. But also, I feel like that's the same thing with apparition. Yeah. The only difference is, though, flu powder is violent. Like, I was watching it in the movie.
1: Whoa. And you don't know where you're going to— Apparition is violent too. If you don't do it oh, yeah, right, you can right. sever your body parts.
0: Never mind; they're both pretty terrifying.
1: <laughs> I think my prefer my real preferred method would be a broomstick. It would just take a really long yeah. time. It seems kind of uncomfortable. I'm not gonna lie.
0: It might be fun for like a year, and then I'd be like, I just want to get there already. Yeah, it's like road trips, yes. and now I just want to fly. <laughs> Like, just get me there faster.
1: This was fun for a while. (laughs) And now I ran out of snacks and I just want to be there.
0: That's so funny. Okay. uh, Next one. Which which magical language would you want to speak? Because we get introduced to a few. We are introduced to the first one, Parcel Tongue, but we just don't know that necessarily until the second one. But then there's also other languages, such as, I think you're...
1: Murmish, Gobbledygook... And like lots of other ones that we don't even know about because Dumbledore is fluent in like so many languages. I always
0: forget about that. He's yeah. like the Tolkien of, of the Harry Potter a world. philologist.
1: He is. Um, I think though that I would choose gobbledygook because that seems like it oh, wow. seems like it would be a good way. I feel like goblins are very misunderstood. Okay. And they're like kind of, I mean right? Like Bill Weasley has an interesting take on them later in this series. But gobbledygook would be so helpful because then it's like you go to the bank and you could like mm. use your language.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. That's what I would choose. That's a good choice. I think I would choose parcel tongue because one, I am in Slytherin. Two, people might think I'm evil already. So might as well have <laughs> Capitalize the on language. It. But also, I there's going to be no secrets. Sorry, Voldemort. Sorry, evil people.
1: You could be you, like, yeah. Oh,
0: <laughs> I know what you're saying. You can't hide it from me. So I think it's a good use because I can true. infiltrate.
1: I mean, Harry's use of Parseltongue is very convenient throughout very the entire convenient. series. That's true. That's so, a good good choice. I would choose
0: that one. Okay. What is the worst magical malady from this movie?
1: Okay, I can't quite decide because I think having all of the bones removed from one of your appendages would be. Horrendous. And then having them regrown. That sounds terrible to me. But man, being a cat for a few weeks also mm, sounds brutal. awful. Especially when you're a 12-year-old girl. That's true. Like that's like now I might think it's kind of funny and I'd be like, hey, look at me. Been- I'm a cat. <laughs> I'm a
0: cat. And <laughs> now, it's less decisions. Like, would you have to yeah. eat cat food? Cause then yeah. it's like oh, I know what I mean today, but, yeah, but when you're twelve, do I s- want
1: salmon or tilapia? Like <laughs> I don't know, but it's not hard. Imagine
0: being twelve though, just bringing like microwaved fish to lunch. Yeah, for-
1: <laughs> and you're like, I am so embarrassed all the time. Well,
0: I yeah. guess in our world that would be that. In their world, you're just eating from a yeah. elf magic dinner table. But anyways, um, wait, because there's a couple other ones in this one, right?
1: Yes, uh, you could also choose Harry, like when Harry gets stabbed by a basilisk mm. thing. Ron vomiting That's right. slugs. Or being petrified?
0: Oh, I always forget about that. that. That would super suck. Does your
1: brain still work when you're petrified? Like, are you still like internally there?
0: Imagine if you're just staring. Like you yeah. don't sleep, you're right. just paused. So you're awake, but you're not awake. And all you do is think and you're just staring. That That's, would be horrible.
1: That does sound
0: terrible. Okay, I might be convinced. I didn't have that, but that might be my answer. Because one... I think cats would super suck because one, I'm allergic to them. So if yeah. I turned to a oh. cat for two weeks, I'd just be sneezing You'd the whole also be time.
1: covered in hives.
0: And covered in hives. It'd yeah. be super not fun. I have a weak stomach, so I'd be throwing up slugs and throwing mm-hmm. up in between the slugs. So that wouldn't be very fun either. But I think the worst one in this movie is probably the fact that a 12-year-old got bit by a bascalist that could probably super die. And that sounds pretty violent. That's um, true. But if you're stuck in your mind being petrified.
1: Yeah. I um, would not. I wonder that. if we're fundamentally misunderstanding petrification though, but I don't know how to figure that out.
0: Yeah, I don't know much about petrification other than petrified wood is pretty cool. I remember feeling <laughs> like, to are that.
1: Slightly different.
0: That's all that's the only time I've ever known that word to be associated with anything in my world is petrified wood.
1: Yeah, there's like a forest of petrified wood in Arizona. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so you're like a fossil. So maybe you maybe you don't have your brain function.
0: Maybe Because fossils are just like... Bleh. Just pause and age. Don't age and just live forever. Mm. Interesting. Okay. Okay. I have... <laughs> I love it. Um, let's see. I have one. Uh, I think we have one more. Yes. Uh, and that is which magic item from this movie do you wish to have? Which... Okay. So I'm going to just jump to it already about... Yeah. Okay. So we talked about this off record. So we're going to bring you on record, catch you up to speed. Uh, Sarah had a qualm. With my pick, and it was displayed in, I think, in the first episode, but the dinner table, like the the dining room table, having food produced is technically produced by Elf Magic, which seems like unfair to choose. And also there's some ethical (laughs) um, issues going on with that too. Sourcing
1: is non-ethical.
0: So I'm going to pick something from this movie, but then also... Um, Sarah, I feel like you have something to introduce to us about uh, your magical item that you're going to pick. Go for it. Okay.
1: So, well, as we were talking about this for this episode, we realized that we were picking different magical objects and I told Josh, he wasn't allowed to pick spells because it's not really an object. But we didn't pick wands, which seems like a massive oversight on our part now. (laughs) Yes. But I got super into wand lore researching this, which again is like basically my MO is knowing more and more about less and less until I know everything about nothing. And so I just need to share some things that I found about wand lore, which is crazy. So like in wand lore, right, you are like the wand chooses the wizard is like Ollivander's classic thing, but... You also have like different types of wood that are included in how the wands are made and also different cores for the wands. So I began reading several different articles from the wizardingworld.com. Super, (laughs) super. super credible source. And um I decided to choose like okay, what do I think my wand would be? So I narrowed it down to three different woods and then I w- picked one of the three different cores. There's like 20 different types of wood also. Anyway, picked like three woods and one core that I thought I would have and then I went and made an account on Pottermore and took the wand quiz. Sure enough, <laughs> I had It it gave me a wand with one of the woods that I had narrowed down to and the core that I had chosen. So what this means is that I am clearly an expert at wand lore. This would be my job in the Harry Potter universe. Um, But I would have a cedar wood with a unicorn hair core, core, 10 and three quarters inches and reasonably supple flexibility. That would be my wand. Okay. And... We can talk more about that, or we're gonna drop the articles that I was researching with into the show notes. So um, please check that out. But Josh, what about you? What would your wand be?
0: Yes, yeah, so I am gonna choose. That's my I'm gonna choose a wand. I get my wand from uh, the uh, first step for for instead of the dining room table. And my wand would be. I also took the quiz, and it's beechwood with a dragon heartstring core. It's 12 and three, four inches long, which is kind of problematic in the sense that I feel like that's like really, really, it's a foot. Like that's a fifth of me almost. <laughs> like I, I'm not, my voice may sound like it's, you know, five, eight, five, nine. It's super, I'm not, it's not me. I'm five, five. And so the one seems a little, a little on the, on the, on the longer side, which is cool and a brittle flexibility.
1: So don't go throwing it off so, balconies <laughs> or something. Just also
0: could be problematic. Smash. Destructive by nature. Not on purpose, I promise. But um, yes, but that is the Beechwood, B-E-C-H, not to be confused with like Miami or Huntington, uh, <laughs> but with a dragon heartstring core.
1: It's so cool though. Okay, this is the crazy thing too, As Josh and I were reading about like the cores and the woods and stuff. Uh, like they really do match our personalities. No, for real. Like they really are, we were like taking it from like an Enneagram perspective. And we were like, this is absolutely 100% spot on.
0: Yeah. Like there's a part of the Beachwood that's like, this is rare and special and like it's unique and it's definitely like the more unique wood out of all of them and sought after. And I was like, dang it, why did Enneagram 4s have to be so like... Oh, I'm special and different from everywhere and everyone. (laughs) And it's anyways, it was, it was pretty, uh, pretty interesting. So I do would suggest, clicking on some of those links and learning about this. An
1: excerpt from the beach uh, description. When properly matched, the beach wand is capable of subtlety and artistry. Oh gosh. Rarely seen in any other wood, hence its lustrous reputation.
0: Oh goodness. (laughs) Just a little glimpse into my uh, personal life there.
1: Oh my gosh. But it's really cool. Encourage you all to do so. It was, I like had like a freak out moment when I was like, I literally knew what my wand would be it was great
0: that's incredible um and then yeah and then i guess i I, i'm I'm gonna pick uh the weasley clock as my second item so we can both Um, have two items because you have what Invisibility invisibility cloak and a wand now i have a wand and the weasley clock yep just so i can uh know where people are and if they're safe I don't know. It seems like a good choice. It
1: does. It's a great choice. I
0: almost said the magical journal that writes back, but then I realized wait, I'm literally asking for a Horcrux and a piece of someone's soul in my life. And that sounds like a terrible idea.
1: <laughs> Nix that. So I said, oh,
0: well, <laughs> nope, not that. So I decided to go with the Weasley clock.
1: I think that's a great pick. It was like the Apple Watch before Apple Watch. Yes. Find my friends. Find my friends. The original Find My Friends app. I think it's great. Well, Josh, we're winding down um, rankings-wise. We now actually have something to rank again. That's true. So, are we ranking books and movies? So, like, here's my book list and here's my movie list because mine differ.
0: Yeah, same here. Okay, okay. But in this instance, with these two episodes, I think they're the s- yeah. same because I have I have uh, the books, the Sorcerer's Stone as one yeah. book and movie, and then. Chamber of Secrets is second to that.
1: Okay. And I'm we'll a-
0: slowly see it decline further for the Chamber of Secrets go down and down. But I, to be fair, I totally understand what you're saying about how yeah. important it is.
1: No, but I mean, I'm on the same page as you. I, uh, yeah, I'm in the same place. I still think that book and movie wise, I prefer Sorcerer's Stone. I would rank it above Chamber of Secrets, but want to always make my distinction that just because I don't like something mm. more doesn't mean I don't think it's more important.
0: Correct. Correct. Yes. All right. And then the last thing, who won? The page or the picture for this one?
1: I'm a page. I, page the yeah. books are so fun. Like, I don't know. Not that the movies aren't, but I will always probably, I don't think there's one of these where I'm going to rank it.
0: Yeah. Picture,
1: which I just like gave away. But like, that's I a, just don't fine. think I'm going to do that.
0: I think there's a couple that creep on the line because of the creativity. Yeah. But I will say for this one, I feel like it's border somewhat line but it's just in in terms of I liked seeing the chamber secrets yeah. I like seeing the howler yeah like the howler like eats itself instead of bursting yeah. into flames which I thought was a cooler adaptation yeah. which I really totally. appreciate so there's like these little things that I think were good but they just leave out way too much yeah they leave out the death day party which yeah. actually I think was like Would have been really cool to see. Yeah. Probably wasn't as important to the story, I guess. But still, anyways, they just leave out a whole bunch. Yeah. There's
1: like the details of the book that you can just never quite emulate with a movie. And I also realized, I think I might have lied because there might be one, which I'm pretty sure you can guess that I will say. I think so. That I will say my picture over page
0: for sure. (laughs) But well, thank you guys for listening. Thank you for uh, joining us. And uh, we will talk to you sometime soon in the near future.
1: Tune in to the next one, because Prisoner of Azkaban is definitively the best book in this series. Arguably,
0: that is for sure true.
1: (laughs) No, definitively.
0: Oh, we're gonna have some
1: arguments. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for tuning into this episode of The Medium Project. We hope we got you thinking. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And if you have friends who might enjoy these conversations, please share this podcast with them. Check out the show notes. You can access material we discussed in the episode and you can get future episodes sent directly to your email. Spoiler alert, there may be a few other opportunities for you in the show notes as well. This is a Three Milks Media production produced by Josh Perez and co-produced by Sarah Warland. Keep reading, keep watching, and keep listening.
0: Where we talk about our favorite movies that were, oops. Let me restart that. <laughs> oh, no, that's going to be It so goes loud. books first. <laughs> I am so <laughs> Our sorry. Our favorite movies that were adapted to books.
1: Just chop that part off because that's going to be no, so good. loud. I totally forgot about not laughing directly into this.
0: Okay, we're going to... Re- we'll we get this it, eventually. We got it. What's up, everybody? Oh, son of a bitch.
1: <laughs> outtakes. All outtakes. of the outtakes.